Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to The Brian Diaries, where the Bold crew gets together to talk about subjects dealing with our favorite tabletop role-playing games outside of our actual plays. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where you'll find our Discord link. Hello, everyone! Welcome back to The Brian Diaries with our brand new segment, Brian Storming. In it, we will be flexing our creative muscles to put together stories, modules, adventure paths, and inspiration for different games, but with a twist, which we'll get to in a little bit. I'm Becca, your host for Brian Storming, and today my storyteller is Slavic. So, Slavic, can you explain some of your storytelling experience for us? Well, I've actually storytelled quite a lot. I've been kind of a forever GM when I was younger, as it's so often called. And uh, I guess I started with it when I was like 14, 13, 14, which is like 10 years ago. Dang! And we used to play with my friends at school, usually like during lessons and stuff. We had dice. We were playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, the first edition. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. So all we needed was a D6 and two D10s. And well, you know, uh, from our corner of the room, we could always hear the day rolling during math, chemistry, anything and everything. Oh my goodness, that just brings a whole new level to being distracted during class. Like clearly you guys understood the material enough in school to be distracted, or maybe you didn't and you just preferred... I mean, <laughs> well, no you judgments know. there. <laughs> well, we made it through school, so so it's all good. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Okay, so in high school, you started. Gosh, that forever GM thing. Now I just yeah. feel like posting like sad memes about that. Yeah, and you know, I, for TC Van, I usually had like it was just fantasy stuff, and I guess some 40k, so some sci-fi too. But yeah, the longer I've played, the more I've been attracted to weirder and weirder systems. And well, I've always been looking for alternatives to like mainstream games like 5e and stuff. So is that something that you just like Googled or because I've never heard of 13th Age until you you specifically brought it up with us? I think what how i found it i'm not sure because it's, it's some time ago is i was browsing a the internet shop of a local czech gaming store and and they had they had lots of stuff there and i think it might have been around the time that v5 was announced oh, so okay. i was checking all the all the different rpgs and they actually had like pre-orders for the deluxe edition or whatever but my afterwards i just said screw it and good thing that i did and i was like huh fantasy okay so there's like pathfinder you know there's 5e and what's this game right 13th age so i googled it took a look okay so it's supposed to be like uh taking the best parts of third edition and the best parts of fourth edition with like the writers from both actually being present oh okay so it's like okay that sounds interesting so I ordered it and I was like, wow, this is this is really great. And by that point, I already had experience with 5e. And I guess I just wanted something different. Yeah. 5e is very limiting once you... 
I love running 5e simply because of how simple it is and explaining it to new people. Mm. It It's a lot better. Like I recently just started a Pathfinder first edition game with a group of women who have never played before. And it was the, I think it was the worst choice that I could have made. I, sh- I should have just been like, okay, let's play fifth ed, like swallowed my pride on that one. <laughs> You should have played 13th Age. <laughs> I mean, that, there's that too. Um, no, actually, 13th Age is super easy to run, in my opinion. Like, okay. uh, when it comes to monster stat blocks, I feel like it blows 5e out of the water because well, uh, it's it's very simple. It's not like they, they don't have player spells. Okay. But uh, usually the stat block fits on, it's, it's pretty small usually. Okay. You just have the stats and maybe two or three abilities, less if oh. it's just like a normal MOOC. That's, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I feel like, well, we can totally dive into more 13th age, which spoilers, that's the system that we're talking about today. (laughs) I'm just so intrigued by it that I I apparently wanted to skip some steps. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you've been the forever GM for like the last 10 years. And yeah, I guess that was one of the reasons I joined TCBN too. That's right. Cause you're, you're one of the first people who started playing in the games. I yeah, often yeah. forget about that. It was a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> it has been. It's crazy to think that it's been going on for about five years now. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, almost five years. That is yeah. crazy. I know. That's weird. So for this round of brainstorming, like with Tillman and with Quinn, each storyteller participating was given the same story prompt to work from to create their own story. But we have been doing a different system each time. This time being... 13th age. With Slavic, we're going to talk about 13th age a little bit first. We're, we'll be approaching it a little bit differently. Quinn and Tillman had had notes set out ahead of time, but this time we're going to approach it more from a natural angle, just like talking it through after we learn more about the system. So I know we talked about this prior to recording a little bit, but can you go ahead and just give an, a good basic rundown of 13th age? All right. So think of 13th age as a sort of indie d20 fantasy system okay so it's an indie <laughs> version of of yeah. fantasy uh, that we know if i were yeah i'd say it's more focused on like the story side than on like kill monsters get looped and move on murder hobo your way through the world whether you're good or evil <laughs> Yeah. So like, I understand with D&D, the reason for murder hobo, because that's how you get experience. And that's how you level up. How do you actually level up and gain experience in 13th age? Whenever the game master says you do. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So more than um, I know in fifth it's ed, milestones. They inter- yeah, they yeah. introduced milestones. So, yeah. okay. Okay. That's reasonable. Yeah. The one thing that's very different is your, uh, the way you recharge your daily spells and stuff, which you actually recharge every four battles can be less if some of those battles are harder, but it's usually like, even if you spread it out, through a month then your characters won't be getting their stuff back usually oh interesting so you can it's not necessarily the time component per se it's more just the the battle that's yeah well they they did it mostly to fix stuff that 5e failed i think with the sort of uh i guess most people don't have don't have time for six to eight encounters for adventuring they that's just too long too much 
Yeah. I mean, but combat takes a long time, I think, regardless of whatever system. And so to have yeah. to strong arm so many encounters. Yeah, I, I, I get I get where they're coming from. It's, with that. It's also a question of balance where, you know, you don't want any players to feel bad about picking this class or that class. Whereas in 5e, if you play like a monk or something, which is like a short rest class, then you get completely screwed by the system often. Because people oh. just don't short rest that often. That's okay. It's also a problem with warlocks. I think the main problem with warlocks. To be honest, I haven't played enough to like. I have my certain classes that I like to play, so I'm like, oh, I wasn't aware of that. Makes sense given what I know about the system. Okay. Yeah. One thing that's very different in Thirteenth Age is the way mundane items are handled, and most of it is just hand waving, like basic equipment like swords armor stuff like that it's actually the property of the class not of like the items themselves I'm, which means like a class could huh. have daggers and one of okay. them could do d6 damage with them and another would do d4 okay i to a degree that makes sense if you take like a rogue who's been more trained quote unquote in that aspect of really close combat it makes sense that they would cinematically know where to stab people better than a sorcerer who also has a dagger and it's like oh there's somebody in my face and i can't cast a spell at them so it, is that kind of the reasoning you think yeah i think partially it partially is because 13th age doesn't want to be dnd it tries to be more like i don't want to say the world of darkness of dnd because that implies that there's like it has to be some I don't know, dark, gritty world, but it definitely has that storytelling focus and tries to put it front and center. Gotcha. Okay. And okay, simplifies cool. the other stuff so it doesn't take up that much time. Right. Yeah, it's always interesting to see all these different systems trying to figure out how to balance the mechanics versus being able to tell a story within the mechanics. Yeah, for sure. When I was running Inferno, I was actually having a lot of fun creating the mechanics for the demons that were possessing the players. Slavic, you're such a nerd and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great because uh, it's like, huh. You know what? I, I can go completely off the wall with this because they're demons, you know, and the things they did in that game were actually pretty tame, but they could have like leveled cities and stuff. Yeah, format. I, I remember taking a look over what they could do, the demons and their their abilities, and I was like, this is going to be a really interesting game. <laughs> no, but that's that's so cool. Um, and I feel like when I was reading your notes, like the the way that you had things in which which document was it i'm not sure if it's history or control i don't know which one i was actually i'm looking at the 13th age document where you have all the icons and the technology right main kingdoms and like the way that you have that listed out i'm like i know this makes perfect sense to you and i'm intrigued by it but i don't think i could ever list something out like that so i'm like how do you think like that and how does that help you in telling a story it's <laughs> does and it doesn't but what it I, what i like about stories is like when there's a very rich background to them where even though i might not show it in this game i might show it in another and especially if i'm utilizing the same setting in different games then i kind of want to have a fleshed out world and 
absolutely need to ad lib something and i can just look at my list and say hey let's say these guys show up oh gosh (laughs) so it's it's in a way sorry if this is going to sound weird when i'm saying it Uh i'm just trying to like correlate the information it's you're you're coming up with your own system with the story the like here's all the details here's all the like kind of what's going on over here and over here and over there and then when you get ready to get into the the story and the fluff of whatnot that's when those elements really shine yeah for sure okay Okay. And it's also pretty good if if you're running a sandbox game, then to really like create a living world where it changes even without the player's actions, where you kind of have it thought out. But that's like when you're going into high, high levels of (laughs) of playing, I guess. It's just getting really deep into it with a group. Yeah. At my home table, the the general feel is everybody wants a sandbox game and my brain has a hard time wrapping wrapping around doing something like that but yeah. i think it's so cool that you have this i'm like i i want to learn how to do that man <laughs> i usually write these things at work <laughs> <laughs> you're like eh, it comes naturally <laughs> it's 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 more like I, well i finished this press release and uh Oh, there's, yeah, I can, I'll do the rest of the stuff tomorrow. I hope my boss doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but no. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, uh, but honestly, it's, it's, it's really not that hard once you get started. You just have to keep writing. And I guess once you have a certain amount of experience or things that you want to do, you just flesh it out, which I guess in a way, the notes that I gave you were are the pre-fleshed out version. They're just like notes for actual setting stuff. Gotcha. So this is the, the notes that you currently have on that document is what is quote unquote canon. Yeah, exactly. So I, I know, again, we talked about this a little bit before recording, but I think it is worth reiterating. So like you have... In, again, D&D, because it's so easy to relate the two. You have your your Greyhawk system, you have your Forgotten Realms, Faerun, those sorts of settings that people can play their game in. And it sounds like 13th Age also has that, but how they approach it is different. Yeah, uh, 13th Age has, I think they call it the Dragon Empire. I actually have the map somewhere, but it's it's a it's a pretty basic setting where you have like an important part of Thirteenth Age are icons, which is uh, which are thirteen important people, which essentially control the world and the way they influence the world is in fact so important that you have relationships with them. You don't have them with the people themselves, but at the beginning, at least, as low-level characters, but they represent uh, relations with their respective organizations. Those can be positive, conflicted, conflicted, or neutral. Oh, negative, sorry. And so if you have a positive relationship and you get lucky in a session or story, then you can get help from the icon and the players are encouraged to make up their own stories and their own items and basically think of what to introduce into the story right so it's it's not just gm that's creating the world uh the players are participating in that too and that's really important in 13th age yeah i want to say that 
in control specifically, we had the opportunity to use a relationship, an icon that way. I think it was Quinn's character who there's like an evil guy on the inside Mm -hmm. of this city that's being mind controlled. And we're like, hey, let's use a relationship to, you know, figure out how to get inside. And so that's that's where that character came from. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, the, the more specific the player is, the better it is in my opinion which like oh yeah there's this guy you know he's old this he has this grayish beard or maybe his one eye but he seems very nice but really he's a bit of an asshole but i've known him for a long time so we kind of get along his name is blah 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 and i don't know i I think it's it's nice it gives the players a more active role instead of a reactive normal reactive role Right. So if players forget the NPCs that they've created, it's just like, really? Whereas like, I expect that to happen in D&D, but in 13th age, like if you're the one creating them, then how can you be forgetting them? (laughs) Well, to be fair, I've forgotten more NPCs than I've made probably at this (laughs) point. (laughs) Well, with how many games that you've been running forever GM over the last 10 years, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, but you know i just i just remember those early games when i was just uh us young teens playing and it was it was dumb but it was fun well and that's at the end of the day that's what it's always supposed to be about is are we having fun yeah role playing is an art <laughs> <laughs> thank you for going there i was like i, no, I no, feel no, like no, i no. can get on a soapbox about that but there's no there's no reason let's just have fun <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, just those uh, those classic arguments yeah. that sort of pop up. I know, I know. Okay, so with 13th Age, we have icons. There's, I was surprised, again, having read the notes a little bit mm-hmm. beforehand, that there's essentially deities. I was like, I had no idea about that while we were playing. Sort of, kind of. <laughs> But they're not important, uh, or at least not in the official setting, because there's basically two sets of deities, the gods of light and gods of dark. The priestess, okay. uh, which is an icon, is like the, let's say, she speaks like to all the gods of light and sort of interprets their will and, uh, I guess, does priestess things. And then there's the crusader, who serves the dark gods, who want a lot of things from their followers but they give them a lot more power but they're never really elaborated on but it's kind of hinted that the crusader is kind of evil and the only reason he's accepted in the empire is because he hunts demons more than he hurts the empire really oh gosh i mean hey gotta keep your enemies close right or closer i guess (laughs) it makes for a good story especially if you have people from like uh let's say priests with icon relationships from the priestess and others with relationships from the crusader. Yeah. Because then it's, it's not the good guys are all of one mind. Yeah. So it adds a little bit of intrigue into it. And, and which is I think, essentially what you said, but yeah. And part of the icon stuff that I really like is that it actually sort of ties the character into the world instantly. Gotcha. One one thing you can ask is, why do you have this relationship? Like, how did it happen? What kind of events led to it? Maybe you were part of the army, so you have a relationship with the emperor. Or you lived most of your life in the forest, so you have a relationship with the druid. Or maybe it was an elven forest, so it's with the elven queen. Maybe both. Okay. 
Okay. Things having played in a majority of your 13th age, I'm like, oh, things are starting to make sense as you're talking <laughs> this out. Cause like you would, you would prepare these characters for us so that we don't have to think too hard about a new system. Super appreciate that. But then like the, the input, especially over time has gotten less and less for me, which I think is great. Cause then that allows us to go, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to say this about the character. And so that makes so much more sense now. Cause that's how it's supposed to be to begin with. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, one shots are always different from actual campaigns where you have to sort of handhold the players a bit and guide them. <laughs> that's that's a hundred percent fair. So, yeah. Oh, one more thing about characters in 13th Age. They have this it's, it's not really a mechanic, but it's just called the one unique thing. So every character is unique from everyone else in the world. With one thing it can be anything it can be say i'm the only human with three eyes and then bam you're the only human in three eyes with three eyes oh stuff like that okay it can, it can be it can be small things too it can be like only person to roll a die 30 times in a row get a six <laughs> so that would be an interesting important fact about a character yeah, I mean, it's not an important fact. It's a unique fact. And okay, some people want to go crazy with it. Mm -hmm. And some people want to keep it more like grounded. And both are fine. Gotcha. But especially gotcha. if you're playing like a want to play a high fantasy game where like everything seems magic, uh, then you can really go crazy. Okay. So I was just in, in the back of my mind, I was thinking about the, the icon relationships and mm -hmm. kind of trying to equate that to you mentioned like that's that's a way that people feel connected into the world to begin with. And my first instinct, because I've been thinking about Exalted Third Ed a lot, and they talk intimacies. You're always supposed to start, every character is supposed to start with at least four of those. And in a lot of ways, it's just, it's a different way to do the icons. But I was also thinking like, wait, but that's what the backgrounds in Fifth Ed supposed to also be like. So I'm just like, oh, it's, it's interesting to have these these different ways to approach how to socially connect characters. So you're not necessarily just doing these murder hobo things in these different systems and how they approach it and how it gives you just a different feel to a game period. Yeah, I, I agree. And well, you know, 5e gives those backgrounds, but usually once you have a background, you kind of forget about it, gives you two skills and who gives a damn. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And that is also how I feel about backgrounds. <laughs> but 13th Age actually does skills completely differently. So, you know, you, you always... Yes, it does. You always add one of those stats, but you have backgrounds. You have backgrounds which replace skills. How many backgrounds points are there? I think there's eight at the start. I can't remember right now. I always have to go through character creation. I usually create like batches of characters when i'm preparing uh preparing a one shot or something then i i create several characters yeah they and, all have been very interesting and unique and i usually remember how to do pretty much everything but uh yeah uh, blah, blah, blah. yeah i think it's eight though yeah you get eight at the beginning some Tal a class talents can change that but essentially you pick stuff which is relatively has a 
pretty broad application and you put points into that. You can have a maximum of five points in the background. So let's say you can be a gardener in the middle of a war, completely, you know, okay. whatever. And then you sort of talk it out with your GM. What does this background actually mean? What it would apply to? Like, okay, so, you know, maybe you were a gardener who was conscripted into a war and then you went back to gardening. And so you have boosts when you'd use it when you look for information about plants growing, but also for like fighting, healing, medicine, stuff like that. And I could even see like a social application for that as Mm -hmm. well, because, well, so you went off to war and now you're back. Well, maybe you are a gardener for Mm -hmm. one of the the lords or one of the nobles in the city that you're in. And that in and of itself gives you a social network to to work with. Okay. There's other stuff that can be done, like, let's say, magical thief and uh, or it can even be like specific let's say, things that are tied to the story. So you can be a member of the Black Fang tribe and then you'll talk with your GM of what the uh, Black Fang tribe is, what they specialize in, and then the background would apply to that. Okay. So is the idea that you're supposed to have this kind of fleshed out to begin with before you start play? Because I can see a player in the middle play going, okay, so I'm I'm part of this tribe, and so I'm going to use that kind of as an excuse, like a, a flimsy excuse to be able to do something that doesn't necessarily make sense. Well, but because it, it fits yeah. within the story or... If it makes sense within the story and if the GM's okay with it, then uh, it should be... Us- it's usually fine. Like, it can be a problem with certain types of players, but in my opinion, those players shouldn't be played with anyway, so... <laughs> okay okay good to know (laughs) yeah that's just how i see it but you know it's i think it worked well in our group so far yeah uh what was it in our most recent one trying to remember the name of it Uh, beginning of the end thank you beginning of the end i remember at one point you were asking us hey you guys need to do this so figure out which skill and how to justify it. And we're like, oh, okay, blah, 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 blah. Um, again, with it being a one shot, it makes sense that we're doing that mm-hmm. stuff on the fly. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Is there is there anything else about 13th Age as a system that should be brought up at this point? Hmm. Well, it does stuff like AC a bit differently. Well, it works the same. You know, you, you have to to hit people. You have to match or exceed their AC. But uh, okay. the way you calculate your AC, you basically take the middle of, I think, Constitution, Dexterity, and Wisdom. And you take the middle modifier out of those three. And you add it to your class modifier. Each class has uh, has their own AC, same as with weapons. So they have different AC with light or heavy armor, and sometimes they have penalties for wearing heavy armor. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Like, rogue in heavy armor, I think, has like a minus two to attack or minus four. I'm not sure. It's, it's kind of hard to do roguish moves when you're full play. Yeah, sitting around clunking. Yeah. Although Craig would barge into here and say, oh, well, but full plate is actually like uh, lighter than uh, modern combat gear. Yada, yada, yada. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Do you? Yeah, it okay. is actually. 
<laughs> I actually saw what was a really funny video. They had like this guy in full plate and a guy in full military mm-hmm. gear. And they were. Oh, I think yeah. I've seen that. I don't know if they were running or they were climbing over walls and stuff. And the guy in night armor actually finished first. Right. Because the, the idea is that it's more in the armor. It's more evenly yeah. balanced. And it's not I really as heavy the... either. Gotcha. I mean, it makes sense. It doesn't need to be heavy. It just needs to protect you from arrows and goblins, swords, I guess. <laughs> and goblins. Goblins. The most important thing to protect yourself against. <laughs> Yeah, but otherwise, like combat system wise, they're the only thing is the escalation die. Where yes, oh my goodness, I love the escalation die. The escalation die is a solution to slow combats. Uh, Absolutely. Basically, each turn after the first, the escalation die uh, die grows by one, which means uh, everyone gets plus uh, all the player characters get plus one to attack. It's actually a really good boss mechanic too, where where you have a big creature and certain numbers of the escalation die, you can have them do special moves and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. And it also sort of actually from a game system point, it it gives incentives to the players to not use their strongest spells at first, like on the first turn. Right, because the the likelihood of you hitting, it's still possible, but it's a lot easier yeah. when you're a little bit further in yeah. combat. Also helps solve a bit of the Nova 5e problem. I don't know that problem. It's basically where at the we start of the fight, sp- like everyone uses <laughs> all their big stuff, all the smites, oh, all the fireballs. Okay, I see what and you're everything. saying. Fireballs. Fire. Yep. Okay, that makes, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It gives it a different dynamic to Obviously, play with. it's not a perfectly um, balanced game. But neither is 5e. Again, the point of it is at the end of the day, are we having fun? The answer is yes, then we're doing it right. I, as a GM, always feel bad when it feels like one of the players isn't as involved because of the class they're playing or stuff. Something like that. That's why I like balance. Yeah. That's that's a really good point. Yeah, I feel uh, that's its own rabbit hole to go down in a different subject. So, so we now know a little bit more about 13th age and it's, it's different. Like I've been surprised throughout this whole conversation about how it's supposed to be run in a more long-term game. Cause we've just approached it with that one shot mindset. Most of the times it's definitely a system that I would like to explore more, but given, given that, so we know, we know more, let's. Try to come up with a story based off of that prompt. So we we have all this information with this world that you've built upon. Let's see how we can fit this prompt into it. So a local organization is accused of instigating arguments among people, seemingly natural disasters, and even wars. Uh, well, <clears throat> there actually is a really interesting organization. It was It's actually in one of the bestiaries. I'm not sure if it's in one or two. It's called the Silver Hand, the Cult of the Silver Hand, and it's used by the Lich King. And it's a sort of cult that helps a certain village or whatever, helps their crops go and crops grow, make sure their farm animals are healthy, things like that. Basic stuff, you know, they seem really nice and helpful. Of course, the catch is... Where do they get the power to do that? So the way they do it is they siphon the life from like fields from other other villages and the uh, the health from animals from like other towns and stuff like that, other herds. 
Okay. And, you know, the people don't know that. They're like, oh, yeah, these guys are pretty happy. And, you know, the cult sort of indoctrinates them, makes them let's say sign contracts or whatever like oh yeah after my body dies you can resurrect it whatever that's fine i'm not using it anymore yeah stuff like that okay. and i really like it because it has this insidious nature of like oh yeah there's this great healer from the silver hand he'll help you and then you realize he uh you know uh killed someone to heal your friend oh my goodness fatally wounded or something similar and i Sorry, I'm making connections. I I really like these small-scale cults where there's not actually that much on the line. But, I mean, there can be. If left unchecked, a group like that could accumulate quite a bit of power. Exactly, Uh, exactly. So, I mean, if you if you are thinking about this from starting a campaign, maybe it's not the the first focus by any means, but it could be something that you drop in the background. Okay, you guys go to this village to, you know, say you're slaying a dragon. You're, you're going on your quest. You come across a village that's doing really well, very prosperous. It almost doesn't make sense, like giving the those hints without necessarily saying yeah. it. And then they continue on their way. And then maybe somewhere else down the line, they find a place that's just so uh, so opposite to that first village, giving the players the opportunity to maybe put two and two together, or at least try to theorize what's going on with that. Yeah, definitely. Or maybe they can find some medallions or whatever when they're, if if they're looking into it, you know, someone might actually ask them to. Yeah, as they're going through. Yeah, because they might actually be a rival villages or whatever. And uh, so suddenly the fates have changed, you know, the horrible village is now the prosperous village and the prosperous village fell on hard times but no one knows why they know their crops are dying you know their animals are dying people disappearing so the the village that was prospering and now things are going into if you just want to plop the characters players right into it Mm. say they're hired by the village mayor or chieftain or whatever you want to whatever society you're dropping them in and the players are asked to investigate more into it. So so with with a story like that... You can even complicate it by making it seem, you know, like the people who are on... who are kind of... Uh, whose village is kind of going down together is, are just kind of rude and maybe maybe even seem a bit... seem like the bad guys to the players because, oh, well, these guys are... they're just jealous of this other village. And the other village, all the people there are so nice and they all want to help us and whatever. And uh, maybe they'll uh, talk about that the other village hired them to that village. And it can get super complex. And, and then they found out they actually were helping the bad guys all along. <laughs> I mean, and that could be definitely a very interesting approach to take into it. So, so w- with that last line, you said they find out that they're helping the bad guys all along. Like, how would you, how would you get started? The player started on a route like that. You definitely have to go small and maybe with a little lie say that. Oh yeah, this other village stole something important from us, and it could be it could be a artifact that protects the village from the undead cult oh my goodness so once once the item's taken away it's even worse yeah oh i like that that's that's cool yeah that's evil (laughs) 
Okay. I mean, yeah, but that that gives it a... I, I feel like we've already talked about like two or three different ways that you right. could approach, have that instigating event. And it's like the, the first couple ones we talked about was, okay, like, okay, that's pretty, pretty typical. I feel like general fantasy kind of tropes but with this last one i was like oh i i wouldn't have thought of that as a storyteller per se so i like the twist yeah for sure and then you'll you'll go further you could go further with it by sending them to another village and saying that they stole stole this herd of cattle or something and to get it back and then uh, just keep escalating it and making it worse and worse for the players oh my gosh because I think the interesting way to deal with that is maybe the players don't go back and see until later the devastation that they're actually causing. Because again, you mentioned this first village is being really kind and really nice and put on that maybe that victimized hat. Like, oh, all these other villages are being really mean to us. Can you go get our artifact, our herd, our, you know, hey, this other village put up a dam that prevents us from getting water. Would you would you put like somebody from the cult in that first village who maybe the players are actually talking to or Yeah, that's or actually a, a great idea. I was thinking of like how how does the cult expand, right? They can't just stay with one village. Then they'd go to the ruined village and tell them they'd help them and uh, then spread that misery to other villages that neighbor at the other village. Okay. And, so they're like they're slowly they work. Yeah, exactly. Slowly encroaching on that territory. And there's a reason for that. It's because in the default setting of the Dragon Empire, the Lich King used to be called the Wizard King, and he used to actually rule the empire, and he wants to get it back. He's currently stuck on like an island. So so in the story that we're currently talking about, where the Silver Can is trying to consolidate power for the, you, you said the Lich King? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from a from a setting point, I'm trying to think, like, at at what point is enough power for the Lich King to be able to come back? Well, from a purely GM perspective, I would say the Silver Hand isn't really going to be that big of a deal because the PCs are going to come and solve it. Gotcha. Okay. Or deal with it because they're just, in my opinion, they're like a low level threat. But if we were playing sandbox, then you could just slowly think of the map as sort of graying out all these undead areas. Okay. And I'm not sure if the silver hand, uh, I don't, it's been a long time since I actually read the entry, but uh, I think they also use the undead as like labor in the fields. <laughs> they actually make things a lot easier for the people there living gotcha. ones. Yeah, yeah. Makes it easier for them. But depending on where the players land on a moral spectrum and like the icons that they have relationships with, I'm assuming that just seeing a field of undead could be highly frowned upon. Yeah, uh, definitely. It depends on... There's actually a necromancer class in the setting. There's like... You can play an evil necromancer or there's like a redeemer necromancer type. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because there's... There's a bunch of the ta- uh, talents for each class, and the way you create a character, you pick a couple of those talents and put them together. So, 
each character can be a bit different. It's kind of like instead of choosing subclasses, you choose talents. Usually pick three at character creation. Okay. So it's it, it sounds like it, it could be not as big of a deal to see zombies in a field working the field. So that's not necessarily a red flag per se. Yeah, it depends on who and why and what the magic was that animated them, I guess. Okay, okay. Or it could be just just your necromancer in in your uh, party is jealous and wants to destroy (laughs) them. (laughs) <laughs> hey, that's I mean that's a that's a fair point too. So so kind of going back to the idea that the silvered hand is is small scale. So maybe the first several levels the players are dealing with how to how to stop this cult from graying out the map. I can see like a, a general confrontation with the with the head cult person but then once that part of the story is done thinking more of a long-term game where would you take that from there well i guess i would see how they solved it first and then i work up from there maybe introduce another icon into the conflict although like probably during the first story there'd be like several organizations that are involved maybe on a low level scale Maybe the Legion of the Empire gets called or something like that. Or maybe uh, someone from a wizarding academy wants to study the phenomena. But once you go up, sure, there's a head cult person, but there has to be a person that actually manages, and I put say person very loosely here, that manages this cult and tells them what to do, right? So it could be like a high-ranking lich or like a death knight or whatever, some maybe a reoccurring NPC or an enemy that they'd have to face, let's say, almost near the end. So at that point, uh, the character could definitely crush them if it found them, but the NPCs would sort of learn about them, and uh, then I'd put it into their hands. Like, what do you want to do? How do you want to run this? How do you want to fight this? Gotcha. I like that. Having the, the it, it makes sense that the cult wouldn't actually have necessarily a direct connection to the lich, but that they're really just a pawn in, in a yeah. bigger game. Kind um, of a pyramid scheme. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, which as I think about it, I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. To, to have something like that, but I'm like, how do you even get to that point of figuring that out? Ugh. I'm just saying I'm really impressed with this this game, and now I want to play it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Chris did say we should have a 13th age game where everyone has a character. So <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, I until I hear that from you, I'm I'm gonna be like, okay, <laughs> I'll wait for it. Gosh. So we have this cult, then we have a lieutenant or however close you want them to be to mm-hmm. the to the Lich King. And, you know, however many steps between then and there. But that gives, I feel like this gives a really good, solid story where there's definitely more that we can sit here and flesh out. But that's, I mean, that should be enough of a bare bones to get a game yeah. going. And I think definitely that's where having a fleshed out setting works well. When you have a sandbox like that, it's because the players will probably ask questions. Well, maybe I have this icon, so maybe I have some contacts here and here, and it just kind of works out. Right, and talking about it basically the... presents the options available mm-hmm. without actually having to say A, B, C. It's like, look at this. This is what's happening in the world. 
Now go and do stuff. So, so talking from that perspective, you could have, you can run this game a couple of different times and depending on the icons that the players have, because that's the, those are the parties that I assume you as the storyteller would bring in to it and how those different icons would interact with this one particular icon is going to be different every time. So it changes the, the face of the game. You can even change the icon of the silvered hand if you want to. That's you can absolutely it from the Lich King to the Diabolist, or maybe the Crusader. Ooh, maybe that, it's a way for him to recruit more people. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, so he always needs people to fight demons. If you change that aspect of it, like who the ultimate bad guy is, mm-hmm. then what do you do with the cult at that point? Because in the the way that we've set it up, it's the they're gathering the energy from the land from other places to make these places more powerful. So how would you change it for a different icon type? I think for stuff like the Crusader and the Diabolist, who are known to like you to use dark magic, you could keep it as is. This would be more difficult with stuff like the Orc Lord, where you really have to sort of scratch your head a bit but i think it'd be possible too with it being uh sort of at first it would look like very nice like the orc lord uh, has taken all these villages and they're they were terribly bad on their they had terrible luck with their crops and everything so he sent orcs and goblins there and you know they live peacefully there but then the players would slowly come to the realization that maybe people that are living in the villages are actually used as slaves to farm food for the York Lord's army or stuff like that. And whenever the players actually come, they quickly set it up so it doesn't seem that way. Maybe they have a way to spy on them. Gotcha. Okay. At that point, you have to significantly change the cult if it's it's like a different type of icon right but there's nothing wrong with that yeah no it's it's just reflavoring all that stuff absolutely which which 13th age does a lot it often has like bestiary entries and it's like this is how this monster would act under this icon this is how it would act under this icon and this is where it would be under this icon and this includes like stuff like adventures and one shots interesting so i remember you talking about Going into that a little bit, where the, the you mentioned the stat blocks for monsters is pretty pretty simple. Mm-hmm. So if if monsters can also have different icons, does that change the type of monster that they are? Mm, it usually the type of monster usually stays the same. An ogre still an ogre, but you might give them a different ability. Maybe change the damage type from like fire to. I don't know all the damage types in 13th Age, actually, but to something like lightning, if it's like an ogre, which was currently, let's say, bound by the wizard, uh, by the archmage. And so, yeah, sure, let's uh, let's give him some uh, uh, glowing blue tattoos and a lightning club. Why not? Gotcha. So it could be as simple as just really a cosmetic change and, yeah. and I mean, it's, damage it's, type. Unless the players are going to be playing through different games of what is essentially the same thing or flavor it, then it doesn't really matter. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like that. It, it just allows for the flexibility of seeing how your players interact with the world. And then you, you can make things more difficult because... Is there is there like elemental weaknesses within Thirteenth Age? There are vulnerabilities. I think I remember that they make critting them easier with those elements. Gotcha. 
Okay. I know the way resistances work is that either you, on your natural roll to attack, you either have to roll that number or higher. Otherwise, it does half damage. So say you have resistance to fire 16 plus, then you have to roll a 16 plus when you actually attack. Otherwise, it does half damage if you hit. Okay. I think I understand that. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that complicated. It's just you just have to roll more than the number says. Otherwise, half damage. Okay. That's Pretty gosh darn simple right there. <laughs> Again, another reason why it's so nice to just be able to jump into 13th age. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I don't think I've ever ran a one shot of 13th age where people had problems with the combat rules. I mean, they're pretty they're pretty straightforward. Yeah. Well, do you do you have any other thoughts about 13th age that you'd like to incorporate real quick or Yes, um... you should play it. If you're listening oh, okay. to this, play 13th age. <laughs> Please. Well, there you go. There we go. Definitely check it out. Uh, do they have a lot of their they have resources? Have an SRD. Yeah. Oh, okay. They have okay. An SRD. So a lot of it's accessible legally online. That's nice. So I'm assuming it's the the. Yeah, just Google the 13th H SRD, and you'll find it. So they have the system that's up for free, but the mm-hmm. a the, lot of the like any setting stuff. And, yeah, and all the a lot of the extra stuff is like in the books. But yeah, I think it's really cool the way they did it. And also just because referencing books all the time, even though it's a relatively simple system, is would be annoying. I always like things when they're mm-hmm. online on a web page. And Control yeah. F is the best friend of the GM. So it is yeah, I, sure. I agree with you to just be able to have a whole SRD and just be like I don't want to spend two minutes trying to find this one thing when I can just type it into a search and have the page come up. That's sure. really, that's good. I'm glad. I feel like I knew that, but it was, it's good to reiterate that they have the SRD. Yeah, definitely people. If you're listening to this, you should go check out 13th Age. Yep. Check out 13th Age, play 13th Age, read 13th Age, forget about 5e. <laughs> and then, And then if you do go through all of that, Share that with us. Like, I want to, I want to know what your guys' thoughts are in 13th ages. And, you know, do you like it more than typical Dungeons and Dragons or not or whatever? Just your thoughts in general. I'm curious. I think Slavic is too. Yeah, always. Thank you so much for coming and telling us about 13th age and then coming up with a, with a nice little story for, for people to play with. I really, I really enjoyed learning more about 13th age, even though I've played it a little bit before. I'm like, Oh, I'm still learning stuff. That's nice. This is not an ad, by the way, we're not getting paid for this. Oh yeah. No, not at all. (laughs) All right. Thank you everyone so much for joining us. We'll see you in the next one. Interested in gods, powerful players, and lots of laughs? Then check out Scion, the Valley of the Setting Sun. Our heroes have just come into their powers and must navigate the tangled roots of the Scion community. Will they achieve their destiny, or will their bones be left to dry under the sun?